Hey guys, Dean Lasagna here from Round 2 Gaming, and I want to thank you for tuning in to a very special episode of CC Extra. I'm here with fellow clubbers Josh and Sergio, two of the biggest Kingdom Hearts experts we have, and over the next hour and a half we're going to teach you everything you need to know about the story thus far. I hope you enjoy. Hearts is a complex story to say the least. Underneath the guise of a lighthearted Disney game, you've got countless characters and worlds and time travel and profits and cloning and rewriting memories. It gets really, really deep. But with the right building blocks, we can help you piece together the story so that you have everything you need to dive right into Kingdom Hearts 3. Before we do though, I think there's a few important themes and terms that'll really help keep you on track. Firstly, Kingdom Hearts is really just a story about light and darkness. Good and evil, essentially. In every living creature's heart, there's light. But there's also some darkness, and when that darkness or evil starts to overtake the heart, what happens then? Two recurring terms you'll hear throughout the Kingdom Hearts lore are the heartless and the nobodies. When a creature is completely overcome by darkness, it becomes like a shadowy embodiment of the heart, and these are known as the heartless. But if the creature is strong-willed enough, it actually splits into two entities. One is the heartless, but the other is like a, a husk or an empty vessel. It's this misshapen, unrecognizable form, and those creatures are called the nobodies. So the heartless are the evil hearts, and the nobodies are the evil bodies. And when both are defeated, they return to their human selves. And for the most part throughout the games, these are the creatures that you fight. But how do you take down these creatures? The answer is our next term, and that's a keyblade. Think of it as a giant key wielded like a, a sword. They come in different shapes and sizes, but ultimately they're all just big keys. And they're forged from the power of light within the wielder's heart, and they're the only things that can ward off the darkness. Now the final piece I want to explain are the worlds. I mentioned Disney earlier, so each Disney IP, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Pinocchio, Toy Story, each of these franchises makes up one or more worlds. And there's some game-specific worlds as well that don't necessarily come from Disney, but they're important story elements. But as you play through each game, you travel to these different worlds, helping to ward off the darkness. To destroy the Heartless and the Nobodies, with the help of your Keyblade. So that sets the stage for what we can expect, but in order to tell the story in its entirety, we have to take you back to the beginning of Kingdom Hearts lore. So Sergio, why don't you start us off? How far back are we going here? So the origins of the universe Originally, there was one world bathed in the light of Kingdom Hearts. Dubbed as the Age of Fairy Tales, this is when the world was most filled with light, as it was believed that Kingdom Hearts itself filled the world with light. There was also a counterpart to Kingdom Hearts that protected it, called the Kai Blade or the Keyblade. 
the reason why I just gave you two different ways of saying it is because in the game, they give you more than one way of saying it. You have the classic Greek way of saying it, classic Latin way of saying it, new Greek way of saying it, new Latin way of saying it. There's lots of uh, debate about how it should be pronounced. But basically, one simple way to spell it is the X hyphen blade. So for the sake of simplicity, in this podcast, we agreed, let's just call it the X-Blade to make it obvious when I'm talking about it. Uh, as people desire to take over Kingdom Hearts for themselves, though, darkness was introduced to the world. So this led to blades being forged in the image of this powerful X-Blade, which would eventually lead into the infamous Keyblade War. However, there was one Keyblade Master who foresaw this impending doom. He knew that this war would result in the end of the world, so with his power of foresight through the power of his gazing eye, he began to write down the events leading to and after the Keyblade War. When he had finished writing this book of prophecies, he began to train six apprentices in order to make sure that the events would unfold as needed. These same six would become known as the Foretellers, and five of the six would be told to form their own factions. And before disappearing from the world, the master also would assign each of a role for these foretellers. Now, the role of each is not very pertinent to the story, with the exception of two, Lushu and Ava. With Lushu, he gets tasked with traveling the world while he has to carry this mysterious black box and wielding a very peculiar keyblade. This keyblade contains the very gazing eye of the master and masters, and Lushu is told that this Keyblade needs to be passed down through the ages from master to apprentice forward through time so that the master in the past can see the future. How you might ask? Well, when they're saying gazing eye, they mean literally. This is one of the master and master's actual eyes. Lushu was also instructed to not take a side in the coming Keyblade War and to simply observe all this to come as he delivers this mysterious black box to some undisclosed location. And then we have Ava who's pretty much the reason our world even exists after this horrific war. While the other four apprentices are gathering their factions and end up being part of the Keyblade War, it is Ava's job to recruit a faction of her own consisting of members from the other factions in a way to unite them and for them all together to venture to another world to ensure the survival of light. These members of hers become known as the Dandelions and they are tasked with finding particles of light called Lux and collecting them. Like Lushu, Ava is also told to not actually take part of this Keyblade War. Okay, so we have this age of fairy tales, we have some premonitions going on, and we have this looming Keyblade War. So clearly a lot of setup here for what's to come, but I think the most important thing to remember is that there are a total of seven Guardians of Light. You have the Master of Masters, who foresaw this big great war, and then you have six apprentices who were tasked with unique roles to carry out. So, with the master gone now, what happens next? Well, time passes, and Keyblade wielders eventually clash over the world's light. Some seek to steal the light, some seek to usher in uh, darkness, some seek to balance the two, and some just want to protect the light. As the war ends, darkness begins to cover the entire world, and the Great X-Blade is broken into 20 pieces. 7 pieces of light and 13 pieces of darkness, and because of this, this leaves the true Kingdom Hearts to disappear into darkness beyond anyone's reach. After this war, all that remains is a wasteland that later becomes known as the Great Keyblade Graveyard. 
However, thanks to the lux that Ava's group collected, soon the light within children's hearts starts to restore the world. Although they don't come back as one, they come back as individual worlds and are now separate from each other. Hence why in the games you have to travel by gummy ship, and there's barriers and there's uh, locks and to, to the keyholes to the worlds. Five of the dandelions are chosen by the master and master, and they return to the Keyblade graveyard, and they then decide to protect the world from further destruction by dubbing themselves the Guardians of World Order. Cool, thanks, Sergio. So. Sounds like the Keyblade War took place. The Xblade itself, it broke into 20 pieces. You got 7 of light and 13 of darkness. And the world itself is just scattered into darkness. And really the only reason it was saved is because of the light of the children's hearts or those dandelions. But I guess with the worlds now separated, where does that take us, Josh? So after those catastrophic events, the Keyblade Masters, which were the descendants of the dandelions, upheld the power of the light and held that above all else. Two of these Keyblade wielders were Ericus, which, fun fact, is an anagram for square, and Master Xehanort. When Ericus became a Keyblade Master, he actually succeeded his own master and became the steward of a world called the Land of Departure, while his friend Xehanort became a seeker, and what that means is he would go from world to world, searching for different truths and learning as much as he possibly can. After they're reunited, Xehanort's plot is revealed that he intends to recreate the Keyblade. And Ericus doesn't like this, and he wants to strike him down, and he wants to stop him. He tries his best, but only leaves a scar on Xehanort's face. Years go by, and years go by, and what Xehanort does is he fakes feeling remorse and regret to win back Ericus's trust. Okay, so just really quick, you have two recurring names here, Ericus and Xehanort. Both Keyblade Masters, one that follows the light, and the other is a Seeker of Darkness. So, we're going to go ahead and move forward a few years here. It's still in the Land of Departure. We meet three characters, Terra, Ventus, and Aqua. These are Keyblade wielders, and they're all three training to become Keyblade Masters under the tutelage of Master Ericus. If you're a Keyblade Master, it's a title for those strong enough to wield the power to ward off the darkness that's plagued the world in the past. And in order to become a Keyblade Master, an apprentice must take an exam called the Mark of Mastery. Ventus served as an apprentice to Master Xehanort first, whose plan was to form the Keyblade, which we talked about a minute ago, by endowing Ventus with the power of darkness. Ventus proved that he wasn't a great candidate and refused to use his darkness to fight the heartless in the universe. Master Xehanort got impatient and used his Keyblade to unlock Ventus' darkness from within. This darkness took on its own identity and became a creature known as Venitas, and he was pure darkness. This left Ventus in a comatose state. Xehanort decided to take him to Destiny Islands to live out his last days. There, Ventus had an encounter with a boy named Sora. Their hearts came into contact, allowing Ventus to stay alive long enough for him to someday repair the damage on his own. Ventus then gained the ability to summon a Keyblade. Soon after, Xehanort brought Ventus to the Land of Departure so that he can train with Master Ericus. But when Ventus met Terra and was questioned about his past, he screams in agony and becomes unconscious for a, a while. It was revealed that Ventus had lost most of his memories. He remained asleep for some time and Aqua would watch over him, 
and he eventually woke up and all three of these characters became best friends. All right, thanks, Josh. So just for you guys listening, we have some new names here. We have Terra, Aqua, and Ventus, and they're all training to become these Keyblade Masters. And there's a unique history there between Ventus and Xehanort. So Ventus was originally Xehanort's apprentice. He wasn't willing to succumb to the darkness, and his heart is essentially ripped apart. The dark portion gave birth to Venetus, and the light portion merged with a young boy's uh, heart. His name was Sora. So now we're left with a being of pure darkness and another being of pure light. So, sorry, let's get back to the Mark of Mastery exam. So, the night before Terra and Aqua's Mark of Masters exam, and if you're wondering why Ventus can't take it, he's a little bit younger than Terra and Aqua, so he isn't fully fledged ready to take the Mark of Mastery yet, but he's getting there. So, this is the night before, and the three friends are talking. They express doubt about their future and wonder about the stars in the night sky. Aqua then gives a gift to Terra and Ventus, which are good luck charms, also called Wayfinders, and they're shaped like this fruit that, when eaten, brings about an unbreakable bond. The next day, Terra and Aqua take their Mark of Mastery exam together, and they get sabotaged by Master Xehanort. And little did they know, Xehanort had this plan to get Terra to succumb to the darkness after the failings of Ventus in the past. He he sensed a weakness in Terra's heart. He sensed the darkness, so he wants he wants to bring that out. So it, what happens is Aqua ends up passing the test, and Terra ends up failing and becoming unworthy of being a Keyblade Master because his darkness is overtaking his heart. Then it's discovered that there's this group of strange monsters called the Unverse beginning to surface in other worlds. At about the same time, Xehanort disappears, shortly after telling Terra that the best way to become strong is to embrace the darkness in his heart. This puts that thought into Terra's mind, kind of messing with him, getting him one step closer to succumbing to the darkness within himself. Following the events of the Mark of Mastery, the characters all go their separate ways. Terra goes to destroy the Unversed and find Master Xehanort. Ventus is tricked into following Terra by Xehanort's apprentice, Benitas, which we know is actually Ventus's darkness, but he doesn't know that. Yeah. Aqua <laughs> is sent to follow and survey Terra in order to stop his heart from falling into darkness and to bring Ventus back home to the land of departure. All right, so everybody seems to be going their own separate ways here. You have uh, Terra, who was manipulated by Xehanort. He let some darkness into his heart. He ultimately failed the exam, but then he sets off in search of him. Then you have Ventus, who was coaxed by his evil half, Benitas, and he followed that trail as well. Then you have Aqua, who actually passed the Mark of Mastery exam and is tasked by Master Ericus to return them both back to the land of departure. So... Lots of split paths here, but where do they all end up, Josh? Let's start with Terra. During Terra's adventures, he's confronted by different Disney villains, including Maleficent, who offer him assistance in finding Xehanort if he helps them with their plans. He also finds out that Xehanort is after the Seven Princesses of Heart. Later, he encourages Aqua when they meet in Cinderella's world to help them strengthen the light in their hearts in order to draw out Xehanort from hiding. Ventus and Aqua have been hearing some terrible rumors about Terra during their travels. Most of these are actually true, including him being tricked into using his darkness to steal Aurora's heart by Maleficent herself. He also had plenty of interaction with Xehanort, who keeps on twisting and trying to manipulate him further into the darkness. Ventus makes his way to the Keyblade graveyard and finds Venitas, who has followed him there. 
He's kind of struggling to win and then King Mickey arrives and helps him out and defeats him. Mickey then explains to Ventus that he has an item called the Star Shard that he can use to teleport between different worlds, but he doesn't know the extent of its power. And shortly after that, the Star Shard teleports them both to Radiant Gardens, but they get separated in the process. Meanwhile, during Aqua's adventure, she arrives at Radiant Garden as well, and she meets Mickey Mouse, the apprentice to Master Yen Sid. He's a Keyblade wielder as well on a mission to destroy the same mysterious Unversed. She also meets a young girl who has pure light in her heart named Kairi. Kairi touches Aqua's Keyblade, unintentionally performing a Keyblade Inheritance Ceremony. The Keyblade Inheritance Ceremony is a trial in which a Keyblade wielder on a level of a master chooses a person to inherit the power to wield the Keyblade. If the Keyblade accepts the inheritor selected, that person will become able to summon their own Keyblade whenever attempted. So she kind of does it by accident and didn't, didn't even know it. They both didn't realize this. After that, Aqua then helps Kairi out even further by placing a magic spell on her. She tells her, one day when you're in trouble, the light within you will lead you to the light of another. Terra and Aqua both find their ways to the tropical world called Destiny Islands, which we alluded to earlier. Terra arrives before Aqua and meets two boys, Riku and Sora. He sees Riku as one day being worthy of wielding a keyblade. So basically, Terra touched Riku's heart, Ventus touched Sora's heart, so they have a connection. So some some super important points here for the entirety of the story, really. You got our trio who learns of the seven princesses of heart, you know, beings of pure light like Cinderella, Snow White, Sleeping Beauty. And while Aqua and Ventus opt to help them out, Terra is actually manipulated by their sort of villainous counterparts by Maleficent and them on his quest to find Xehanort. Now it sounds like their journeys lead them to Radiant Garden, befriending King Mickey. Mickey Mouse is introduced, which is pretty cool. And it's here that they meet for the first time since leaving the Land of Departure. It doesn't really sound like their, their quests line up here though, um, because just as quickly they're off again on their, their own separate paths. But I think the last important thing to note is that Aqua met a little girl named Kairi, and Terra met a little boy named Riku. And if you remember Sora, who was the young boy who shared the heart with Ventus. I know it's, it's a lot of names, but ultimately Sora, Riku, and Kairi, if you just remember those names for later, because now they're all connected. So anyways, back to the story. Where's Ventus at? Ventus eventually encounters Master Xehanort who reveals his true intentions about the Keyblade and that he would have to combine Ventus and Minitas together to create this all-powerful blade. Ventus finally returns to the land of departure and confronts Master Ericus, who wants to erase Ventus in order to stop Xehanort's evil plot. Meanwhile, Terra confronts Xehanort who tricks him by telling him that Master Ericus is evil and wants to kill Ventus. So misinterpreting the situation, Terra arrives at the land of departure just in time to stop Master Ericus from cutting down Ventus. Before Ventus could say anything, he is teleported away by Terra. Terra then proceeds to battle Ericus, but quickly realizes the error of his ways. As he relents in his attacks, Master Xehanort arrives and executes Ericus. Then he tells Terra to go to the Keyblade Graveyard. 
A while later, all three of them arrive at the Keyblade Graveyard where Master Xehanort appears with Vanitas and reveals his plan to use the Keyblade to unlock Kingdom Hearts and unleash the forbidden secrets of the Keyblade War into the various worlds, as well as to use Terra's body as a new vessel for his own heart so that he may survive long enough to see his plans come to fruition. A battle ensues. Xehanort freezes Ventus. Vanitas knocks out Aqua. Terra gets enraged and unknowingly unlocks the darkness in his heart. Xehanort uses this opportunity to unlock his own heart with his Keyblade and transfer it into Terra's body, creating a brand new young Xehanort, a Terra Xehanort. Terra's mind continues to linger in his discarded suit of armor, which comes to light and defeats Xehanort. Ventus, meanwhile, manages to thaw himself before Vanitas can kill Aqua, and discovers his dark counterpart to be the source of all the unverse. Vanitas merges with Ventus, possessing him and creating the Key Blade. Aqua awakens under Mickey's care, and the two fight the possessed Ventus while he battles Vanitas from within. Aqua shatters the key blade as Ventus destroys Vanitas, bringing an end to the inverse, though Ventus' heart is lost in the process. The destroyed key blade unleashes a burst of light, which consumes everyone present and scatters them to the corridors of space, save for Terra's lingering will, which remains in the key blade graveyard in his suit of armor. King Mickey brings both Aqua and Ventus to the mysterious tower. Aqua learns that Ventus will not awaken until his heart returns to his body. Aqua brings Ventus back to the now destroyed land of departure and uses Master Ericus' Keyblade to create a whole new dominion called Castle Oblivion from the Ruins. She locks Ventus' body in a chamber that only she can reach, safe and out of harm's way. Aqua goes to Radiant Garden and encounters Master Xehanort who is still in Terra's body. They fight and Xehanort attempts to unlock his heart once more, and then starts slipping into darkness. Aqua dives after him with her glider, but realizes that only one can make it back from the darkness. She sacrifices herself, and uses her armor and glider to send Terra Xehanort back to the world of light, in hopes to save her best friend. And now, she is lost in the realm of darkness. Xehanort is later discovered by Ansem the Wise. He's the ruler of Radiant Garden and he becomes his apprentice, but Xehanort has no memory of his past doings. Ventus' heart finds its way to young Sora and their hearts become one. So for now, that wraps up our tale of Terra, Ventus, and Aqua. Tragic heroes with destinies far greater than they could have ever imagined. Destinies indeed. So the story is really just continuing to build here, and it's clear that these characters are going to play a vital role in the future. First and foremost, you have Xehanort, who throughout the entire series, in one way or another, is the antagonist. Then you've got Terra, who is manipulated, and whose heart has sort of now been overtaken by Xehanort, but he's left in this state of amnesia, and he's working with a research group led by Ansem the Wise. You have Ventus, who his heart has been ripped apart and sewn back together a couple times now, and he's in a coma and is in Castle Oblivion, hopefully regaining consciousness. And finally, you have Aqua, who is really the true Keyblade Master, but she's trapped in the Realm of Darkness. So it's, it, 
it's really not a good situation for anybody except for Riku and Kairi who've been chosen by the Keyblades and Sora who is able to absorb a piece of Ventus' heart. But before we get to those three, there's one more thing that we learned, and that's when Ventus, uh, a being of pure light, and Venetus, a being of pure darkness, merged back together, they created a, a really fragile version of the X-Blade. So, Sergio, what uh, what happens from here? Sure. So, as you guys mentioned earlier, in the story we have Xehanort who takes over Terra's body, and Aqua finds him in Radiant Gardens and confronts him. After the battle, as Terra tried to get control of his body, it leaves them in a state where Xehanort is still running the show, but he has lost a lot of his memories, doesn't quite know who he is. And eventually, a man named Bragg finds this amnesiac Xehanort and brings him to the king of Radiant Gardens named Anson the Wise. He then, he then joins Ansem's team as they are seeking to research the darkness that lingers within people's hearts. And what drives Ansem to do this is that he's become worried about the darkness and the threat it poses to the people of his kingdom. As Ansem began initiating tests about the human heart, Xehanort actually offers himself up as a guinea pig for testing because both he and Ansem also want to help Xehanort recover his lost memories. At this time, their tests are actually purely ethical, but each time they run the test, their subjects' hearts would collapse. Now, out of curiosity, instead of just disposing of them, Xehanort would keep these failed subjects and confine them to the dungeons below the castle Hollow Bastion. When he would return to check on these patients, he would realize that they would become these creatures of pure darkness. He eventually informs Ansem of this, and the two start researches on these creatures and eventually name them Heartless. Okay, cool. So this is this is actually the first time we're hearing about the Heartless in the storyline, right? We we have Xehanort, who's inside Terra's body, and along with King Ansem, they're doing these quote-unquote ethical experiments on people's hearts to find out the source of the darkness. But when these hearts are collapsing, rather than tossing the subjects away, they're, they're actually keeping them in cells below Hollow Bastion. And they realize that these hearts essentially are overtaken by the darkness, creating these creatures that they dub Heartless. So, first time in the storyline, pretty important point here. So that's really cool. Sorry, Sergio, carry on. Ansem soon begins to fear that what they're doing is going too far, and he's really afraid of the, reper the repercussions, especially after King Mickey visits him. Uh, eventually, though, six of Ansem's apprentices are seduced by this strong desire for knowledge and this is really where the, the origins of the first iteration of Organization 13's really starts. It's during this time that for unknown reasons also, Xehanort takes the name Ansem for himself and as he continues his research, he decides to uh, you know write his journals and you find different excerpts from his journals throughout each game pretty much. These same six members also eventually become insane, honestly, and they revolt against Ansem, the Wise, banishing him to the realm of darkness. They then begin to dabble deeper into darkness with their research of the Heartless. Soon, they create a factory below Ansem's lab so that they can produce artificially created Heartless, which they eventually dub them Emblem Heartless, and eventually Xehanort himself decides to give himself into the darkness in order to become a strong, heartless himself. 
But he desires to be more than just a pure blood or an emblem heartless, though. And it's because he chooses to separate his body first from his soul that Xehanort is able to retain his selfhood and his intelligence after this transformation. Um, without a body, Xehanort Heartless, calls him, who calls himself the Ansem Seeker of Darkness, and of course, when a Heartless is formed, you have a nobody, and his nobody is called Xemnas. Now, after this happens, the remaining organizations, as they continue their research, eventually become nobodies themselves. And without Xehanort Heartless to control the Heartless, the Heartless escape the castle of Hollow Bastion and begin terrorizing all of Radiant Garden until all that remains are the ruins of the castle. So then we have Xemnas and the other nobodies, other apprentices, and they find themselves in this realm called the Realm of In-Between, and they find the world that never was. There, Xemnas becomes ruler of this realm, mainly because he is the first nobody and therefore the most powerful. Um, and this realm lies between the realm of light and between the realm of darkness. And the castle that ever was becomes the first headquarters for the Order Edition 13. Eventually, they also find Castle Oblivion and they decide to set it up as a secondary base where they could research memories because it's through memories that nobodies are able to form a personality. Otherwise, they'll be like just husks that have no, I know, they don't have emotions to begin with really, but they, have, they would just be zombie-like, I guess you can say. And it's during this time that Xemnas sends two of the members, I think it's Zigbar and Zaldin, and they recruit more members because they need a larger group to run these castles. All right, thanks, Sergio. So clearly a lot to unpack here. Okay, so we got Organization 13 clearly going to play a big role in this story. And it's also really the first time we're hearing about the nobodies. So Xehanort, he, he regains his memories, he gives his heart up to the darkness, and he becomes a heartless, known as Ansem, and a nobody known as Xemnas. And the, the real Ansem, King Ansem, Ansem the Wise, who felt like they were going a little bit beyond the realm of ethical with some of their tests, he was banished to the realm of darkness, which, if you remember, that's where Aqua is. So a few other quick things to note here. We know that the other researchers, along with Xehanort, uh, started creating sort of uh, synthetic Heartless, and they were known as Emblem Heartless. And without Ansem there to really control these, uh, they went crazy and, and essentially just took over Radiant Garden. They swallowed it in darkness, and the only thing left is the castle called Hollow Bastion. And with their Heartless gone, the researchers essentially became nobodies, and they ended up in a place called the Realm of In-Between. So you have the Realm of Light, the Realm of Darkness, and the Realm of In-Between. And one of the worlds there is called the World That Never Was. That's where Xemnas is, that's where his six apprentices are, and that's essentially where they make their home base, in a place called the Castle That Never Was. Now, Sergio also mentioned that they branched out to another castle called Castle Oblivion. And if you think back to where Ventus was put by Aqua because he was in a coma, that's the same place, right? So things are starting to tie together a little bit, albeit a little loosely. So let's, let's just start with the new Ansem, the heartless version of Xehanort. Josh, where does his journey take us now? 
Ansem plays a key role in upcoming events. His ultimate plan was to open the doorway to Kingdom Hearts, letting in an unthinkable darkness upon all of the worlds, where he believed he could find ultimate power. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. A decade has passed since the Land of Departure fell, and we met three children, Kyrie, who we first met in Radiant Garden, and Sora and Riku. They have all three grown older, and they live on Destiny Islands, and are best friends. For a really long time, Sora has been having these really surreal dreams, they almost feel like reality. This particular dream is the most intense one he's ever had. He's fighting this giant monster in this swallowed hole, only to be woken on the beach by Kairi. He really didn't know what to make of it. Sora, Riku, and Kairi want to make a raft and leave Destiny Islands to explore and see different worlds. And while fetching supplies, Sora liked to hide out in a secret cave and writes things in chalk on its walls. Riku had often teased him, you know, how kids do and friends do, about sh sharing a fruit called the Paupu fruit with Kairi. And when you share a fruit with somebody, you have an unbreakable bond between them, so he always liked to rib him and tease him a little bit. Sora actually liked this idea, obviously, because he went into the caves and he drew a chalk drawing of himself giving the fruit to Kairi. And during the drawing and finishing it up, there's this mysterious hooded figure that walks out of a doorway inside the cave and he has this ominous speech where he says this world has been connected and tied to darkness and he accuses Sora of lacking knowledge and then disappears without a trace. The night before their voyage, the island is attacked by Heartless. Riku is consumed by the darkness and beckons Sora to come with him and Sora reaches out for him but before he could do anything, Riku vanishes into the darkness. Sora then gains the power of the Keyblade and fights waves of Heartless off. He sees Kairi in the hidden cave where he saw the hooded figure before and she flies towards him and when they touch, she vanishes into thin air. Sora then fights that same Heartless monster from his dreams that manifests itself on the island and as he beats him, Destiny Islands is destroyed sending Sora spinning off into space. So. Destiny Islands. It's uh, it's the home of Xehanort, we know that, but it's also the home of our next trio in the story, Sora, Riku, and Kairi. But it sounds like their, their time together is pretty short-lived. Riku has been consumed by the darkness. Kairi vanishes with her heart essentially escaping her body and embedding itself into Sora's. And then Sora is sent spinning off into space after his world is swallowed, so not a very good day. Meanwhile, King Mickey has left his world to try to conquer the increasing power of darkness and gives instructions to Donald and Goofy to find the key. They bring Jiminy Cricket along to record their adventures. They use a ship called the Gummy Ship to go to a different world called Traverse Town. Coincidentally, this is where Sora lands after being shot off of Destiny Islands. Sora continues to fight the Heartless in the town until he meets a mysterious swordsman named Leon, who explains that the Heartless are creatures that consume hearts, and how the Keyblade is the only thing that can defeat them. He also explains how the king of his homeworld, which is Gradient Garden, the original Ansem, who is now banished to the Realm of Darkness, studies Heartless, and that's how he gained his knowledge. Donald and Goofy, in the other part of town, meet up with Leon's ally Aerith, who tells them who they may be looking for. Sora, Donald, and Goofy then end up 
meeting in the third district of town and they team up to take down a giant heartless that threatens Traverse Town. They discover that they are a great team and decide to travel together. Donald and Goofy looking for King Mickey and Sora searching for Riku and Kairi. The three use the gummy ship to travel to different Disney worlds, helping out the characters in each, and they also discover that the Keyblade can lock keyholes that appeared in these worlds that let in the darkness and the heartless. Alright, so a lot of familiar names now. If you guys have been paying attention, you'll have heard a couple sprinkles of Disney throughout, uh, a little Maleficent and some Cinderella and Snow White, but really not all that much. But this should start to quench your thirst. Now we have Donald Duck, we have... Goofy, we have Jiminy Cricket, and they join Sora on his adventure to find Riku and Kairi, and now King Mickey. And then we have Leon and Aerith, who, if you're a Final Fantasy fan, you'll recognize those names as Squall Leonhart and Ares Gainsborough, and they were once both residents of Radiant Gardens, along with some other Final Fantasy characters that we'll eventually meet. And they're living in Traverse Town now. And then finally we have the Gummy Ship, which is a vessel that can travel from world to world. So if you were waiting to hear some familiar Disney names or some familiar Squaresoft names, this is where we're really getting into the meat and potatoes. Elsewhere, there is a group of Disney villains led by Maleficent who are seeking out the seven princesses of heart to unlock the keyhole that leads to Kingdom Hearts. This is believed to be the source of all hearts and a giant repository of power and knowledge. Among this group of villains is a conflicted Riku. He is led to believe that Maleficent will help him find Kairi and that Sora has abandoned him for new friends and the Keyblade. Riku is able to eventually find Kairi's body, but she doesn't have her heart. Sora, Donald, and Goofy arrive at Hollow Bastion, which is the homeworld of Ansem and the headquarters of Maleficent. They encounter Riku, who steals the Keyblade from Sora, calling him the Delivery Boy, and that he was fated to have the Keyblade all along. Donald and Goofy then leave with Riku, taking Mickey's orders to find a key. Seriously. Sora challenges Riku in the Bastion and gets the blade back, claiming that it was the strength of his friends that helped him do so. His friends go back to his side. Riku runs away and meets a cloaked man who tells him about the power of darkness. Maleficent attacks Sora, Donald, and Goofy, but they are triumphant. They even encounter a strange-looking Riku with a new Keyblade called the Keyblade of Heart. He has Kairi's body and reveals that he is possessed by Ansem. He tells them that Kairi is the final princess of heart and her heart was trapped within Sora's ever since they were at Destiny Islands. They fight and Sora beats this newly reformed Ansem but is unable to seal Hollow Bastion's keyhole. It's because Kairi's heart is still locked within his own. He takes action and uses the Keyblade of Heart to unlock his own heart which releases both his own heart and Kairi's heart. He gets turned into a heartless in the process. After some time, Kairi awakens and uses the strength of her heart to help Sora return to human form. They follow Ansem into a place called the End of the World, which is the combined segments of worlds that have been taken over by Heartless. Sora, Donald, and Goofy pursue him to the world's core, which is made out of the remains of Destiny Islands. He gives a long monologue about how hearts having a stronger connection to the darkness than they do of the light. They fight him back 
and he falls into the abyss surrounding a gigantic door called the Door to Darkness. He tells them that his intention was to claim Kingdom Hearts for himself. Then he merges with a giant landmass called the World of Chaos and captures Donald and Goofy. Sora manages to beat him down. Ansem, defeated, lays at Sora's feet with his hand stretched towards the door to Kingdom Hearts. He begs it to make him powerful with the darkness within, but to his surprise, the door opens to reveal that Kingdom Hearts is not made of darkness. It was made of light. Then an overpowering light overtakes Ansem and decimates him. Beyond the doors, Riku, who has regained control of his own body, and Mickey are there. Mickey and Riku, inside of the Realm of Darkness, help Sora, who's on the other side of the door, seal the door with their keyblades. When they do this, all of the worlds that were lost to the Heartless begin to reform. Kairi, who is standing near Sora, begins to get pulled away towards Destiny Islands, and they reach out for each other. Sora looks her in the eye and promises that one day, they will all reunite. Later, on Destiny Islands, Kairi walks into a secret cave and sees a drawing on the cave wall of herself being given the poppy fruit by Sora. She smiles. Sora, Donald, and Goofy agree that their next goal is to locate King Mickey and Riku once again and help them find their way out of the darkness. They are wandering down a path in a brand new world when Pluto the dog appears with a letter from King Mickey. They chase after him, not knowing where their next adventures will take them. Very cool. So the team, they stop the evil Ansem, who we know is actually the heartless version of Xehanort. If you remember, Xehanort released his heart to the darkness. And when that happens, you split in two, a heartless and a nobody. So Ansem is, is the heartless portion of Xehanort. But even though it's defeated, a piece of him still resides inside Riku. Kairi, she's back home on Destiny Island. Riku and Mickey, they've, they've essentially locked themselves behind the door to darkness. And now Sora, Donald, and Goofy, having received the King's letter from Pluto, are off to find both Mickey and Riku. So, sounds like their journeys are, are just beginning. But Sergio, maybe you can help clarify something that Josh talked about. We know that in order to save Kairi, Sora had to give his, and, and thus her, heart up to the darkness. And a Heartless was created, Sora, Sora became a Heartless, but wouldn't that also mean that nobodies were created as well? Yep. As mentioned before, when a Heart is swallowed by the darkness, the remaining body gives the nobody a form, and it's the remaining soul that gives the nobody life. However, only the strongest of wills can retain a human form, and this is what distinguishes the members of Organization 13, Naminé, and Roxas from any regular nobody. Because basically the way it works is the stronger the will, the more humanoid the nobody appears. And as I hinted earlier when I was discussing the fall of Radiant Garden, nobodies vanish from the realm of light upon creation and they're born in the realm of in-between. It's because they're both shunned from the light and the darkness that they, and it's because they don't truly exist. Um, initially, we are led to believe that this is that because they do not truly exist, that they are not exactly capable of feeling true emotions. Um, because normally, when a nobody is able to retain memories of his past life, it's there that they are able to derive what it was like to have emotions. By doing so, it allows them to respond correctly 
to specific situations as the as if the emotions were genuine. But this is hinted as being false when you look at people like Roxas and Namine. There may be some unique aspects to these two in particular, such as the fact that they were born without memories of being Sora or Kairi, but there's a bigger underlying reason actually. Nobody actually can cultivate new hearts as well as emotions, but it's Xemnas and Zigbar who purposely hold back certain information from the other members of Organization 13. Uh, and it's because Xehanort has a very specific plan for the organization and he knew that if members knew that they could recover their own hearts, that they would have no reason to obey him. Now, you might be wondering, oh, but Xemnas had his own goals separate from Xehanort, so why would he care to keep the secret? Well, why does anything in Kingdom Hearts 2 or in the spin-offs that chronically lead up to what happened then? Xemnas' goal is to create Kingdom Hearts, by collecting, so he has to collect the hearts to do so. And for the same reason that Xehanort, with all the information, at the end, at the, end of the day, Xemnas benefits. You know, if he doesn't have the loyalty and the obedience of these members, then he doesn't have them to do what he needs to drive Sora, Roxas, and whatnot to release the hearts of Heartless so that they can form Kingdom Heart. Okay, so things are getting a little tricky now, but let's see if we can recap here for you guys. So, uh, you mentioned two names, Roxas and Namine, presumably the nobodies that were created when Sora and Kairi's hearts were unlocked to the darkness. And Organization 13, which we learned was made up of its leader Xemnas, which was uh, the nobody version of Xehanort, as well as uh, the nobodies of the six research group members and, and whoever else has been recruited since. They have a plan. Uh, well, they, they actually have two plans. It's, it's members think that they're collecting hearts so that they can return to being, to, to, to feeling. But what Xemnas, their, their leader knows, is that nobodies can actually recreate their own hearts and their own emotions. But he keeps that a secret because he, he needs to keep these guys in line. What he actually wants to do is collect the hearts so that he can use the power of Kingdom Hearts for himself. So a few different plot points going on, but Sergio, why don't you carry on? Tell us what's next. So we continue with Sora, Donald, and Goofy traveling. Their path eventually leads them to a place known as Castle Oblivion, but as they enter the castle, it appears as if they somehow have been transported to, tra to Traverse Town. And as they begin to travel this area, they begin to run into characters from the first game that by all rights should know them, but none do. Uh, they're told that while they are not in their memories, it's as if these people's hearts remember them somehow. And so as this group, you know, Sora, Donald, Goofy, they travel room to room in this castle, find themselves in, again, weird copies of worlds from that they've experienced before, and they keep re-experiencing old memories, they actually realize that they are distorted versions of the memories. They're not quite exact. Aside from people not knowing who they are, there's always something off about them. And the further that they go into the castle, the more they start to lose their memories, actually. Eventually, they discover that a nobody named Namine, who is Kairi's nobody, has been tasked with manipulating Sora's memories per Marluxia. And Marluxia desires to do this so that he can eventually make Sora a puppet because Marluxia is one of the members of the organization that wants to go against and rebel against Xemnas and he wants to use Sora to aid him in his little coup. Now, when was Namine born as a nobody, you might be asking? Well, in the first Kingdom Hearts game, 
when Sora used the Keyblade of Hearts to unlock his heart, he also unlocked Kairi's heart, given her heart was within his own. So, when, Hor when Sora became a Heartless, Namine was born as a very unique nobody, because she was born of Kairi's heart, but Sora's body and soul. Because of this, she was the ability to manipulate the members of Sora, and after the defeat of these members of Organization 13 who are working under Marluxia, Sora is of course able to free Namine, and in order to pay Sora back for what she played her part in, she gives him a choice. He can either keep his memories of this time in Castle Oblivion, or he can regain his old memories, but he can't have both. Of course, you know, Sora chooses the latter. He wants to remember his true life, his true friends, and everything, and he enters the chamber housing pod to be in the process and goes into a deep sleep. So this is where we start getting into alternate memories, which is always great for story flow. But we have Namine, and she's a, a unique nobody. Essentially, she's made up of Kairi's heart, but Sora's body. And through that, she's able to rewrite Sora's memories. Now, Marluxia, who was one of the new recruits to Organization 13, as well as some others, they plotted to use Namine to rewrite Sora's memories and eventually use him as a tool to overthrow Xemnas. So all this happens in Castle Oblivion. And remember, we know Ventus is there somewhere too, but for now, Sora has opted to get his old memories back, and he's essentially just sleeping in a pod as his memories are slowly being returned to him. Now, it's also worth mentioning that while Sora is wandering through Castle Oblivion, Riku is also actually in the basement levels of the castle as well. Uh, it seems that at the end of the first game, after he helps close the door to darkness from his side, his body um, was led to the castle because of Sora's heart, kind of like seeking it. Um, he, he awakens to the sound of a voice saying that he can either sleep and forget his troubles as well as the light, or Riku can take the steps forward over towards becoming overcoming his darkness. And of course, Riku, Riku chooses the latter, otherwise there wouldn't be a story. Uh, it turns out that the reason for his being there is that Vexen, who is also a member of Organization 13, he wants to use the darkness within Riku to combat Sora's light to further aid in the overall attempt to make Sora their puppet. And from Riku's darkness, they are able to create a dark replica of Riku that Riku is actually able to defeat because Riku finally decides to embrace his darkness. And as his adventure in Castle Oblivion comes to an end, uh, Riku finally realizes that no matter what, the darkness is part of him and that he has no reason to fear nor fear the light because neither can destroy him. At the very same time that Sora unlocks his heart in order to save Kairi, not only was Namine born, but so was the nobody Roxas. Now, if you guys also recall, earlier when Josh was discussing the end of Birth by Sleep, he mentioned that Ventus's heart found a home within a newborn Sora's heart. And this is why Sora's nobody looks like Ventus. This is the first time that we really understand why Sora is so special, or more importantly his heart, is his ability to connect with people. He has a welcoming heart. Alright now, earlier I said that Roxas was born at the same time that Namine was. Xemnas finds himself in Emotions Roxas in Twilight Town after Roxas is born and he brings him to the organization, and Roxas becomes the 13th member, actually. 
and each day in the castle that never was, they give Roxas assignments in different worlds so that he can use his Keyblade to destroy Heartless. This way that the organization can gather the hearts and eventually work towards building Kingdom Hearts. Remember, Xemnas kept the truth secret from the rest of the organization, so they still think that the only way they can become complete beings is to get hearts and summon Kingdom Hearts. But Xemnas, of course, wants to summon it so he can use it just for power. Eventually, Roxas is placed under Axel's care, and it is through his supervision that naturally the two become very close. But soon after Roxas joins, a mysterious new 14th member named Xion shows up. And there's one thing that's very peculiar about her because her appearance changes depending on your relationship with her. So someone like Zigbar would look at her and see Ventus, but someone like Roxas, he sees a black-haired, short-haired version of Kyrie. Uh, eventually, Axel gets reassigned to work at Castle Oblivion, and Roxas is paired up with Shion. And as one would suspect, of course, they get close. Okay, so Roxas is Sora's nobody, and he was born in Twilight Town. Uh, Xemnas, he comes to find him, he recruits Roxas into Organization 13 as its 13th member. And remember, this is all taking place at the same time as Sora, Donald, Goofy, and, and Riku are traveling through Castle Oblivion. And essentially, Roxas is sent out on these missions to collect hearts. Now, a few other notable characters that Sergio, you just mentioned, uh, Axel who is one of the members of Organization 13, and Shion, who is this mysterious 14th member and whose form really changes depending on your relationship with her. But ultimately, Roxas, Axel, and Shion become close friends, and we have yet another trio in the Kingdom Hearts story. Now for a time jump, because at the same time that the Chain of Memories plot ends with Sora going to sleep, Roxas goes to a, into a coma for several weeks because of it. When he awakens, he learns that, with the exception of Axel, all of the members that were assigned to Castle Oblivion were eliminated, aka what happened in Chain of Memories. You have Sora and Riku just just, just, just wrecking shop, you know? <laughs> um, also, after he wakes up, Roxas begins to uh, suddenly experience more and more of Sora's memory, which makes him start to question um, things about himself and his reality. And he's never giving clear answers, and this causes him to finally start to doubt the motives of Organization 13, as he feels that like he's constantly being lied to. Meanwhile, while this is all going on, after Sora has been put, put to sleep, it's revealed that Riku has been doing everything he can to make sure that it goes smoothly and quickly. So working with the Nobody nominee and a man named Diz, Riku eventually encounters Shion. During their confrontation, Riku entirely just messes with her head, uh, bringing her identity into question, her very being, and her right to wield a Keyblade. And he tells her that she should leave to merge with her original self, hinting that she is not whole. Eventually after this, Saix, uh, one of the members of Organization 13, tricks Shion into fighting Roxas, and it's this kind of final act of annoyance and defiance that Shion decides to finally take Riku's advice and flees. And she goes to Twilight Town and she eventually stumbles upon the old mansion. Uh, it's there that she runs into Naminé and finally discovers the truth. So Shion is basically a 
an imperfect replica of Roxas created by the organization by using some of Sora's leaked memories as well. So she is not a nobody after all. She is just a clone of a of a abomination of a nobody and mem and, and Sora's memories. And what her purpose originally was, was to act as a failsafe for Xemnas in the event that both Sora and Roxas end up being no use to them at all. Um, so you might be wondering, okay, well, if she is from Roxas and Sora, why the heck does she look like Kairi? So the weird reason that she resembles Kairi is because of Sora's strong memories of Kairi. So that after there's a mission where Roxas runs into Shion, and after he returns to the mission, it causes him to finally decide to leave the organization himself as well. And eventually, Axel is tasked with finding Shion. And not only does he told to bring her back, but he, at this point, because he misses Roxas, he's like, man, if, if she comes back, maybe Roxas will come back. That, that, that type of ideal. He's like, this guy is, this guy is just distraught because uh, Roxas is the only person that made Axel feel like he has a heart. So, it's his best buddy, you know? And after Axel defeats Shion, he brings her to Xemnas, who decides that she is definitely in need of her summer programming so that she remains loyal. And it's soon after this, you know, which is also soon after Roxas has left, that he actually runs into Shion in Twilight Town at the train station. And only now, when he looks at her, she looks exactly like Sora, but she has her voice. And it's been uh, realized that as Namine has been trying to restore Sora's memories, Shion, in fact, has been absorbing them at an alarming rate. So she's becoming more and more whole of, well, she's a replica, but, you know, a whole version. So that's why she's looking more and more like Sora. But in order for her to become complete, she needs to defeat and absorb Roxas as well because Roxas is his nobody. So this is where we see what Xenomus's greater purpose for her was. Because let's say that Shion was able to defeat Roxas and absorb him. That means that Sora would never wake up. And he would just be basically comatose. So of course the two duke it out and Roxas prevails as victor. He defeats Shion. However... For some reason, when the fight ends, he suddenly forgets who he is and what just happened, which is makes for a really gut-wrenching scene because he's like, oh, did I do this to you? Uh, what happened? Are you?" And she's basically dying in his arms. And as she dies, as Shion dies in his arms, uh, her memories start to return to Sora. And Roxas inherits Shion's Keyblade. And it's because of that that, he, that he's able to deal build. And because Roxas can deal build now, when Sora comes back, that's why Sora can do can dual wield Keyblades. Uh, so while back in the world that never was, a pissed off Roxas encounters Riku. Intending to uh, Riku intends to defeat Roxas though because he wants to capture him and finally have him merge back with Sora. But initially, Riku is defeated with Roxas, you know, dual wielding Keyblades and all. And realizing how much more, more powerful Roxas has become. Riku decides that, okay, he needs to make a sacrifice. He needs to take one for the team for Sora's sake. And so this is why he taps into the growing darkness in his heart. Because his heart still carries a piece of the heartless and some secret of darkness. So doing so, once again, when he gives into the darkness, he is now stuck in the form of and some secret of darkness.
And this makes it super easy to defeat Roxas because he has all this power. And Riku then brings him to the man named Diz that I mentioned earlier who was working with Namine to restore Sora, who then digitizes Roxas into a virtual version of Twilight Town. Whew, okay, so understandably, this is where the series really just starts to lose people. It's a lot to take in, there's a lot of plans, a lot of memes, but let's try to break it down for you guys. So we know that Roxas is Sora's nobody. Remember, he turned into a Heartless to save Kairi, and in any sort of strong-willed being like Sora with every Heartless, you also have a nobody. Similarly, Namine is Kairi's nobody. And Xemnas, who was Xehanort's nobody, he recruits Roxas as the organization's 13th member to collect hearts because he can use a Keyblade, ultimately to open Kingdom Hearts. Now, Xemnas uses something called the Replica Program, and he creates a, a being called Shion, who essentially is meant to replace Sora. By merging Shion and Roxas together, they'll create an extremely powerful being, and Sora will ultimately just be left in a coma. So Shion is the organization's 14th member. Now, as Sora is beginning to regain his memories thanks to Namine, those are starting to get absorbed by Shion because she's just this new creature that is ultimately taking his place. Now, amongst all the confusion and the questioning of reality, Roxas and Shion, even though they were once friends, they ultimately fight, and Roxas is the one who, who prevails. He not only returns all of those needed memories to Sora, but in doing so, he also gains the power to wield two Keyblades. Now, Riku, wanting to make sure that his friend Sora reawakens, is actually hunting down Roxas so that he can bring him back to Sora, they can merge, they can become one again. But Roxas's power with the two Keyblades is just too much, so Riku really has no other choice. He still has, if you remember, some darkness in his heart from Ansem. So he gives in to that darkness. He essentially unlocks his heart to the darkness. He embodies the form of Ansem, and he becomes more powerful than even Roxas. So he's able to capture him. So ultimately, Shion, she's dead. All but a few of the Organization 13 members, they're also dead. And Sora has regained those needed memories, so the last step is really just to merge with Roxas, who Riku's caught. There's a man named Diz, he puts Roxas into this simulation, and that's sort of where we're left off. So, Josh, why don't you share what happens next? Roxas is trapped in a simulated world called Twilight Town, where he has friends Hainer, Pence, and Olette, and they just hang out all summer long. He has no memories of his time in the organization, or Xion, or Axel, or anything. Twilight Town is a digital world created by Diz, who altered Roxas' memories to make him believe he was just a normal teenager. In Twilight Town, summer vacation is coming to a close. Roxas and friends are just trying to have a good time and trying to make the most of the time they have left, but they keep getting interrupted by these strange white creatures that Roxas has to fight off. Also, they get interrupted by a young man named Axel and another man in a black coat. Axel tries to get Roxas to come out of the digital world and back to the organization. Since he has no memories of their friendship or his past at all, Axel tries to bring Roxas out by force and fails. 
After some time, Roxas begins to remember some small splinters of his past. With the help of Nominate and the Keyblade, his memories almost completely reform. Then one day, the time stops in Twilight Town. We later find out this is Antsma's doing. And Roxas is coerced to going to the old mansion at the other side of town. Roxas enters the mansion and sees Nominate there with two cloaked men, one being Ansem himself. They capture her and take her away. Roxas sees a drawing that Nominate had been doing before being captured, and it was of Sora without his necklace. Roxas then draws the crown-shaped necklace on Sora's neck, which allows him access to Ansem's computer room, where he finally regains all of his memories of Organization 13, Xion, Axel, and how they used him because he had the power of the Keyblade. Memories of Sora's past swirled around him, and he finally understood who he was. He then destroys Diz's computer in a frenzy of rage. Axel appears before him in the mansion's basement and attempts to take him once again to the organization, and he fights his way out. Then he finds a white room with a strange looking capsule inside. Diz appears before him, telling him about his plans to have somebody that can move about the darkness and destroy Organization 13. Roxas is confused and angry and tries to strike down Diz, but he is made out of data and his attacks are pointless. The capsule opens up and Roxas knows what he must do. Sora is inside, asleep. Roxas looks up at him and says, it looks like my summer vacation is over. Roxas, being Sora's nobody, merges back with Sora's heart. Awesome, thanks, uh, Josh. So, really quick here, this is this is just a simulation, right? This is ultimately a way to get Roxas, who is Sora's nobody, to merge back with Sora's heart and ultimately reawaken. Sora. It's, it's the, the final step in the process now that Sora has all his memories back. And it's being handled by this mysterious man named Diz who has a much larger part in the overall story but we haven't really figured everything out yet. So Roxas has merged back with Sora and everything should be good. Sora and friends wake up in the real Twilight Town. It has been one year since they have begun the memory rebuilding process. They have no memories of any of the events that happened in Castle Oblivion, except for one note that's inside of Jiminy's journals that says, thanks, nominee. The group meets Pete, a new villain. The group finds out that they must speak with Yen Sid, who explains that Sora and friends need to help out even more worlds, both old and new. They would have to protect them from nobodies and heartless in order to get closer to stopping Organization 13's evil plot. Among these worlds is a greatly changed Hollow Bastion, and they find out that Maleficent had been revived. She was helping the organization gather hearts by making the Heartless Army incredibly powerful. All of this ends in an epic battle for Hollow Bastion. Along the way, there are many that help Sora out, including Leon, Aerith, and even Cloud Strife. The fight through Hollow Bastion was intense. During one portion, Goofy almost dies because a massive boulder lands on his head. He doesn't pass away, fortunately, but it looked really bad. It all finally ends with a massive 1000 Heartless battle. Sora went at it alone and defeated all of them, but little did he know that this was the plan all along. The plan is that Sora and other Keyblade wielders would destroy the Heartless, releasing their hearts. Once this was done, Xemnas, 
would use the power of hearts to create another artificial Kingdom Hearts in hopes to control its power. Alright, so things are getting exciting now that Sora's back up and running and now wielding double the Keyblades. Uh, a few familiar names that Josh just mentioned, you got Big Bad Pete, uh, Maleficent is back, you got the, the Final Fantasy roster now including Cloud Strife, and just this, this huge series of events that culminates into this giant 1000 Heartless battle. But as Josh just said, this was all part of the plan. Xemnas ended up using Sora as a tool after all. By releasing all the hearts with his Keyblades, he could use that power to open Kingdom Hearts and fulfill his quest into becoming a god. After the massive battle at Hollow Bastion, Sora and company find out the Master Control Program which had, which had taken over Ansem the Wise's computer infrastructure. Then they go inside this data space and help Tron retake Hollow Bastion's computers and restore order. Tron finds out info about Ansem and reveals that Hollow Bastion is truly Radiant Garden, and this revelation helps restore it back to its original beauty. Then Sora and friends go to the world that never was to finally destroy the organization. When Sora arrives, he battles a hooded figure who wields two Keyblades. It's Roxas and this internal struggle continues, and as he fights, Sora sees memories that Roxas shares with him of his first encounter with Axel and that his name was Sora just with mixed up letters and an X in the middle. After a while they come to a stalemate and Sora comes to realizing that it was a battle within himself. Sora, Donald, and Goofy move through the world that never was and reunite with Kairi and Riku. But Riku has taken the form of Ansem so that he can control his inner darkness. Pete and Maleficent are there, but they end up helping the group because the organization was becoming too powerful even for them. Kairi also has Naminé with her, and it is also revealed that she is Kairi's nobody. She was created when Kairi's heart was stolen a year earlier. Naminé then reunites with Kairi. Diz appears and it's revealed that he is in fact the real Ansem all along and he tries his best to destroy this artificial Kingdom Hearts with the machine that he had created. He ultimately fails using all of his strength to take out as much of the new Kingdom Hearts as he could. Okay so a few pretty big revelations for the characters here. We have Sora who finds out that he had a nobody named Roxas and he has his own little internal battle with him. We have Kairi, who is really fine because she got her heart back, and Naminé was kind of, sort of, Sora's nobody as well. But anyway, Kairi and Naminé are reunited, which is great. And before his courageous death, it's revealed that Diz was really Ansem the Wise all along. Everybody is here in the middle of the world that never was, and they managed to overpower all of the organization members besides Xemnas. He is revealed to be forming the massive Kingdom Hearts in the center of the world. He enters the Kingdom Hearts. Sora and Riku, who takes his real form and looks a little older, unite to take chase. Okay, one more quick important item here. It looks like amidst all the chaos in the explosion, the power of darkness that Riku had from Ansem, the Seeker of Darkness, has essentially been blown out of him. He has returned to his original form, and he no longer has that remnant darkness in his heart. 
They fight Xemnas through various incarnations and ultimately destroy him together through the power of friendship in their hearts. Unfortunately, they get trapped in the realm of darkness as a result. Sora and Riku are alone on a dark beach in the realm of darkness when they see a message in the bottle. Sora picks it up and this is what it says. Thinking of you, wherever you are, we pray for our sorrows to end and hope that our hearts will blend. Now I will step forward to realize this wish and who knows, starting a new journey may not be so hard or maybe it's already begun. There are so many worlds, but they share the same sky. One sky. One destiny. Upon reading this, a light appears in the water. Sora and Riku go together through the door. A bright light washes over them. They are transported to Destiny Islands. Sora, Donald, and Goofy are reunited. Mickey Mouse and Riku embrace. Kairi is there, and she gives them a smile. They had one for now. Some time has passed and Sora, Kairi, and Riku have stayed on the Destiny Islands in peace. Kairi finds a note from King Mickey and the adventure continues. Wow. All right. Thanks, Josh. So this is it. I mean, this is really the first time we're seeing everybody together. We have Sora, Riku, and Kairi all back on Destiny Islands together. We also have Donald, Goofy, and King Mickey together. All of the nobodies, Roxas and Namine, have merged back with their uh, original uh, counterparts. Riku has lost the darkness in his heart, so everything really seems more or less at peace. Xemnas has destroyed his plot to open up Kingdom Hearts and become a god, has been kiboshed with the help of Diz and the other characters along the way, including and Maleficent who helped out as well. Organization 13 for all intents and purposes has sort of crumbled and it's really only left to this note from King Mickey that we have a little bit more adventure ahead of us. So Josh you're on a roll here why don't you tell us what happens next. Lee awakens in Radiant Gardens and he realizes he had returned to his original form because his nobody Axel had been defeated. He sees other members of Organization 13 are there, and they explain to him that if somebody's heartless and nobody are destroyed, that they will return to the world where they lost their heart as a full person once again. If a person's world is destroyed, they would just end up in Traverse Town. Meanwhile, Sora and Riku go to Yen Sid's tower. He believes that Master Xehanort may return and tells the boys that they must take their Mark of Mastery exam in order to become true Keyblade Masters. Otherwise, if they don't, they may not become strong enough to best Xehanort at his full power. In order for them to pass the exam, they each must go to Sleeping Worlds, which are worlds that were destroyed by the Heartless, and they must unlock their keyholes. They would have to do this to seven different worlds and seven different keyholes. When they do this, it will restore those worlds to the Realm of Light. All right, so the training begins. Master Yen Sid. So if you're a Disney fan, you'll know that Yen Sid was originally Mickey's master in The Sorcerer's Apprentice. And it's also Disney spelled backwards. But anyway, he starts Riku and Sora on their training to become Keyblade Masters. 
And we also just learned that a man named Lee woke up in Radiant Garden, and he's the human form of Axel. So two pretty big points there. This introduces the concept of time travel through sleeping. Yen Sid uses this power of all the sleeping worlds to send Sora and Riku back in time to Destiny Island's destruction. This gives them access to the other sleeping worlds. Sora and Riku are separated at the beginning in Traverse Town and learn that each are helping the worlds in slightly different ways in an almost entirely different plane of existence. They can interact with each other from time to time, but are taking the test and unlocking the worlds on their own. They each recruit a variety of spirit dream eaters that help destroy the evil nightmare dream eaters. These creatures are born of darkness and their aim is to destroy these worlds for good. Throughout the exam, they go to different Disney worlds that have fallen to darkness, including Fantasia and Three Musketeers world. These are particularly interesting because Mickey is in both of these worlds, but it is a past Mickey, so he has no memories of Sora or Riku. And as they go through these different worlds, they encounter Xemnas and Ansem, and also a gray-haired man that slightly resembles Terra from previous storylines. While overseeing the exam, Yen Sid, Mickey, Donald, and Goofy are delivered a note by means of Maleficent's raven. Attached is Queen Minnie Mouse's crown. Mickey, Donald, and Goofy use the gummy ship to go back to Disney Castle where Maleficent and Pete were holding Minnie hostage. Maleficent tells this story of her first encounter with Xehanort and demands access to the data space, which is a machine that allows the user to enter objects with a digital signature. Mickey refuses, and Maleficent attacks, but this gives Minnie the opportunity to get away, so Maleficent loses her leverage. She then leaves in a tuff with Pete. Then out of the shadow steps Lee, which we know is the real person to Axel's nobody, and asks to go back to the mysterious tower. Mickey, Donald, and Goofy accept. Back in the sleeping worlds, both Sora and Riku manage to lock all seven keyholes, but instead of being transported back to the realm of light, they are transported to the world that never was. Sora encounters both the gray-haired young man and Zigbar, a sniper-wielding Organization 13 member. Sora gets lost in an illusion, and discovers that the young man that has been following him all along is actually a young Xehanort, who had been given the ability to travel through time by a disembodied Ansem. He was then given the goal to different time periods to collect different versions of himself. Sora is trying to move forward but gets different visions of people who have touched his heart. Kairi, Riku, Ventus, Terra, Aqua, Roxas, and Namine are all included in these visions. People who are connected to Sora, connected to his heart. After a while, Sora encounters Xemnas and Zigbar. They explain that young Master Xehanort has been gathering the other versions of himself to create a brand new Organization 13. This was the initial plan when he had created the original 13, and he was going to place a piece of his own heart into all the original nobodies. See, they were deceived into thinking that they had no heart, so that they would be loyal to him. This proved fruitless for most of them because they were either destroyed or fought against him. Now Xemnas wanted to take Sora, one of the strongest hearts, and use him as one of the 13 vessels. Sora relented and fought against him, and ultimately won out. After defeating him, Sora's heart is damaged, and he goes into a comatose state. Young Xehanort takes him to the castle in the world that never was. Sora falls into darkness, but his heart gets protected by Ventus Keyblade Armor. 
Meanwhile, Riku makes his way to the castle where he sees Sora's body floating within some sort of invisible force field. He sees memories and images scrolling by his face. Not being able to do anything, Riku continues onward. He then fights a mysterious figure that is a manifestation of Sora's nightmares. Ansem takes Riku and drags him by force into the darkness. Okay, so Sora's down again, and uh, we learned quite a bit here. First, we are reminded of all the people that uh, Sora's heart has connected with over the course of all of the games and all of the stories so far. We had uh, Kairi and Riku, his best friends from Destiny Island. We had Roxas and Namine, the two nobodies that were created when he uh, released his heart to the darkness. And then we have Terra, Aqua, and Ventus. And more importantly, we got uh, wind of Xehanort's true plan for Organization 13. He originally intended to place a piece of his heart into each of its members, but after seeing how risky the, the nobodies were, I mean, some of them revolted, some of them uh, started feeling their own emotions, he actually sent his heartless form, Ansem, back in time to meet up with a young version of Xehanort, grant him the power of time travel, and then task him with collecting different versions of Xehanort throughout time to make up the organization. Versions like Young Xehanort and Old Xehanort, uh, Terra Xehanort for when he merged with Terra's heart, uh, Ansem the Heartless and Xemnas the, the Nobody, uh, Zigbar and Sykes, just all of these different versions to make up the 13 beings of pure darkness. And that part's really important. It is then explained to Riku by Ansem that he had been fighting within Sora's dreams, and he was, in fact, a spirit dream eater himself, defeating Sora's nightmare dream eaters along the way. Ansem then asked Riku to join him, knowing that Riku had accepted the darkness within his own heart. Riku doesn't agree with this, and explains that he was unsure about his power to wield the Keyblade after seeing Master Xehanort lose his when he became a Heartless. He now knows that he has the strength to continue and deserves to be a Keyblade wielder. He then refuses to join with Ansem. They fight, and Riku destroys Ansem in Sora's dream. He is then transported out of them into the real sleeping worlds. With help from his spirit dream eater buddies, Riku finally finds Sora in the castle throne room where his young Xehanort had taken him. He fights young Xehanort, ultimately defeating him. King Mickey shows up shortly after the fight, and in the throne room sits nine hooded figures, but on the top throne sits a familiar face, Master Xehanort reincarnated. He explains to them about his many failures including his original plan to create the X-Blade with Ventus slash Vanitas, and his intention of the new Organization 13 that were all a fragment of himself. This would create a battle of 13 darknesses and 7 lights that would help recreate the X-Blade and restart the Keyblade War anew. Ah, oh, okay, okay. So this is all starting to make sense now. For those of you who have been following along, Xehanort's plan has always been to recreate the X-Blade and to use it to reveal and unlock uh, Kingdom Hearts. Now, when he tried to do it originally, he did it with Ventus and Vanitas, of being a pure light and a being of pure darkness, but it was just, it was too fragile. So if you remember, the original Keyblade or X-Blade was broken into 13 parts of pure darkness and 7 parts of pure light. Well now, he's trying to recreate the Keyblade War by creating 13 beings of pure darkness, his, his essential forms throughout time, 
against the seven new guardians of light so uh, a pretty big plot point here and this is going to play a lot into kingdom hearts 3. Xemnas and Ansem grab Riku and Mickey, holding them down. Master Xehanort then walks up to Sora's body and starts to prepare a piece of his heart to place within him. Then, seemingly out of nowhere, Lee comes in and protects Sora. Xehanort sticks one of his organization members, Saex, on him. Ansem then jumps up, summons his giant heartless guardian, and then, all of a sudden, Donald and Goofy arrive using Mickey's star shard and defeat this giant monster. Then, since his plans are derailed, Master Xehanort and his organization flunkies flee. The gang takes Sora's body back to Yensid's tower. Rigu then realizes that he must enter Sora's heart and gather its broken pieces. He enters Sora's dreams and fights a nightmare version of Ventus Armor who is protecting Sora's heart. But before that, Riku is transported to a digital version of Destiny Island. There he sees Roxas. Ventus, Jion. Then he comes across Ansem the Wise, who tells Riku that he hid his research within Sora when he was regaining his memories about a year earlier. After Sora awakens and Riku returns to the tower, only Riku is made a Keyblade Master by Yen Sid because Sora didn't truly unlock all the seven doors alone. Lee is there and summons a Keyblade out of thin air to everybody's surprise. He reveals that he wanted to meet with Yen Sid to become a true Keyblade wielder since he just figured out how to summon one. Sora decides to go off to train on his own, and he goes to Traverse Town in the Realm of Sleep where he reunites with his Dream Eater spirits. Ventus is then shown in Castle Oblivion, still asleep, safe and sound where Aqua had left him all those years earlier, smiling. All right, thanks, Josh. So it looks like Riku is a Keyblade Master now, and Sora doesn't quite get that rank. So he's off on his own. He's training in Traverse Town in the Realm of Sleep. We saw Ventus, who we remember Aqua putting him in Castle Oblivion because he was in a coma after being ripped apart from his dark uh, form, Venitas. But uh, you see a little bit of a smile there. So he's, uh, he's sort of understanding what's happening. And then probably the biggest surprise of all is Lee, who what we originally knew as, as Axel, uh, is actually a Keyblade wielder as well. He is able to summon a Keyblade, and he actually made his way to Yen Sid's tower to get some training himself. So at, at this point, we really have our full roster of characters in one way or another, or we've at least been introduced to them. Together, we have Sora and Riku and Kairi and King Mickey and now Axel, all being able to wield Keyblades in one way or another. And we all remember the original trio, Terra, Ventus, and Aqua, but they're sort of scattered across different realms and different places. So that leads us to our final piece here. Sergio, why don't you tell us what happens? We have Riku, Kairi, and King Mickey who are visiting in Sid, who informs them that they must rescue some people named Terra, Ventus, and Aqua if they desire to complete the seven heroes of light that they need to fight Xehanort's 13 uh, Essence of Darkness. It's then here that M Mickey makes it clear that he actually had an encounter with Aqua before when she was when he was in the Realm of Darkness himself. Our attention turned to Aqua as she has been trapped in the Dark Realm. She eventually stumbles across something uh, called a place called the Castle of Dreams and it's here that she realizes that time doesn't actually flow in the dark realm and for some reason she keeps seeing visions of Ventus and Terra 
she eventually finds herself trapped in a dwarf woodlands where she encounters different mirror versions of herself. Later, she sees Terra in Venice once again, but for some reason she can't interact with Ventus, but Terra is able to communicate with her, and he's trying to tell her how, you know, he can't fight anymore, he's feeling like he's lost to the darkness, and as that conversation kind of ends, um, Xehanort just takes control. Um, so she then finds out that Xehanort is trying to locate a place known as the Chamber of Waking, which is where Aqua hid Ventus's body, and Aqua tries to fight Xehanort off, but sh during the battle, she's eventually pulled deeper into the darkness. So this is where we get a really cool aha moment for Kingdom Hearts fans. Uh, while she is in the darkness again, she meets King Mickey, who's looking for the key to the darkness. After she helps him fight three waves of Heartless until they locate the key, King Mickey, you know, then uses it to help Riku close the door of the darkness. So that is the big aha moment because this is showing that Aqua helped Riku and Mickey close the door of the darkness because if you recall, you have Sora trying to close the door from his end and Riku trying to close from his end and all of a sudden King Mickey just shows up in the realm of darkness to help make, to help Riku. So, um, and it's as the door is being closed that Aqua decides actually to stay behind and so this way she can act as a sort of wayfinder to anyone else that ever finds themselves lost in the darkness. Later, we see Aqua in a scene that looks like Destiny Islands, where she's watching the worlds being restored, um, but then she falls deeper into darkness once again, and there she finds Anton the Wise, who, if you recall, when I was recapping the origins of Organization 13, um, long ago, Anson the Wise was banished to the Realm of Darkness by his apprentices. Anson reveals to her that Sora is the key to everything. Alright, so we're really learning about Aqua's exploits since she was trapped in the realm of darkness all those years ago. Time works differently here, and she encounters a, an evil version of herself, a, a, like a phantom Aqua, along with Xehanort, and ultimately she's pulled even deeper into the darkness. But like Sergio just mentioned, it, it's really important because if you remember when Sora and Riku and Kairi were originally battling Ansem the Heartless, Mickey appeared at the last minute and was able to help Riku close the door using this key of darkness. And that's a key that he found with the help of Aqua. So everything's really coming full circle here. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. But uh, Sergio, why don't you tell us what we learn in these final scenes? This is where we kind of see the latest of Aqua's adventures end. Because now the game brings us back to Yensen's Tower where, you know, Mickey had just finished retelling Aqua's story of when he met her in the Realm of Darkness. Riku asks Mickey, oh, you know, why did you keep this from me? But then Yensid is like, well, it was to keep you and Sora from rescuing her before there was a safe way for us to enter the Realm of Darkness. And after they received new clothes from the fairies from uh, Sleeping Beauty's world, Riku and Mickey finally decide that they're ready to go and find Aqua and return to the realm of light. So it's presumed that in Kingdom Hearts 3, that's what King Mickey and Riku are doing. Also, as the game concludes, we learn that Kairi and Lee, who is the original form of Axel, are now being trained by Merlin to become Keyblade Wielders. So they're going to be two of the seven pieces of light. Eventually, Sora returns after he had spent some time training away after Dream Down Distance. And uh, he realizes that, you know, in that game, when his heart filled the darkness, he had lost most of his powers as a result. And, you know, so Yensid tells him, hey, you know, go meet up with Hercules on Mount Olympus. 
because obviously he had a similar story where he once had godlike strength, lost it, and then regained it once he became a true hero. So then Sora, Donald, and Goofy board the gummy ship and they travel away. And this is really where we end and Kingdom Hearts 3 hopefully begins. Awesome. Thanks, Sergio. So as a final recap here, guys, where everybody's at, we have Riku and King Mickey and they're heading back to the realm of darkness to rescue Aqua to return her to the realm of light. We have Kairi and Lee who are now training alongside Merlin to be Keyblade wielders. And Sora, after realizing that this coma that he was in sort of sapped all of his powers, is actually traveling to Mount Olympus to work with Hercules to see if there's a way he can get his old powers back. So there's a lot of paths here, a lot of stuff for Kingdom Hearts 3 to pick up on, but this is everything that we know so far. The story of Kingdom Hearts is a far cry from a young boy who travels through Disney worlds to save his friends, but it's enthralling and it's complex in an endearing sort of way. It keeps you thinking, it keeps you guessing, it keeps you wondering what's going to be unveiled next. It's truly a franchise unlike any other, and I know I speak for the three of us when I say we can't wait to see what happens next. I'd like to thank both Josh and Sergio here for their incredible knowledge and understanding of the franchise. When it comes to experts, these guys are are truly the masters, and I hope the show has given you a, a new outlook on an otherwise intimidating series. If it has, please head on over to the forums at www.cartridgeclub.org and share your thoughts there. We have a thread up now, and we'd love to see some inspired conversation happening. How far have you made it in this series? Are there any plot points that you'd like more explanation on? Has the show helped you enhance your understanding or even appreciation of the franchise? Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you all for listening. And until next time, CC Unite.